0: Welcome to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. It's a podcast about the nuts and bolts of life in rural Australia. The good, the bad and the beautiful. David Rugby Robinson was a proud old Geelong Grammarian. His memories of the school during World War II are rich with stories about principal James Darling pumpkin pie and bacon, cadet training and sport. A farmer's son, David, grew up in New South Wales. After a stint at King's School in Sydney, his father decided, in keeping with tradition, that David and his brother should head south and finish their secondary education at Geelong Grammar. David's father, Herbert Reginald Robinson, was a World War I veteran, injured at Gallipoli. He hit it off straight away with the Geelong Grammar Principal, James Darling, himself a veteran of the Great War.
1: Dad took us down, my brother and I down to Geelong Grammar. And of course the history is there that the great uncle who was one of the founders of Geelong Grammar, and the first dean of Melbourne, one of the family, each generation had been to Geelong, so there was a bit of a history there. Dad took us down and we, we went down by train.
0: Who was the headmaster then?
1: Darling. He was headmaster for a long time and a very, very good one. When we got in to see Darling, of course he saw Dad's return services badge on, on his thing and He said, oh, where did you serve in the war? And Dad told him and he said, oh, you were right beside us. You were the fellows that used to pinch our horses. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, they fought the war again for another, you know, ten minutes or a quarter of an hour or a bit more. I think. I always remember Darling saying, "Yes," he said. We used to send a fellow down with two horses to drink, and he'd get down there, and he said there'd be a flying Australian there, and he'd have six horses on each side, and he'd drink the trough out before our fellow could get (laughs) it. You can just see it, can't you? Wasn't going to send a fellow down with two horses. He sent him down with twelve horses, six on each side. yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: Did you like Geelong Grammar? Was it, was it good to you?
1: I loved Geelong Grammar. Um, I went from being a king still and I think being quite a bit starved there. we got down to Geelong Grammar and Geelong Grammar at that stage had its own dairy. It had its own, uh, must have been acres of pumpkins because we had pumpkin pie and they had their own piggery and pumpkin pie and bacon was very strong on the menu most weeks and uh, plenty of bread and all you had to do was have some a a bottle of jam at your house and every night each house was given half a bucket of milk so every night you could go and have a a milk drink and a piece of bread and jam if you wanted it.
0: And did you work on the farm at Geelong Grammar?
1: No yeah. No, we, we, there was no, Nobody worked on the farm, it was all separately worked. Yeah. But we had our own jobs to do, that was wartime. We all had to make our own beds, we had to clean the house, we had to do all those sort of things that, that uh, you know they didn't do before the war. Mm. Cadets was fairly full on too, and we had had a, a CO that was fairly full on and making sure that we, we knew everything about it. In the finish I, I was in charge of a tank attack gun which was a light light uh, uh, artillery gun and we had a couple of teams of fellas that were trained on that just in case we had to go to the war.
0: So you were really being trained as potentially going to the war?
1: Oh absolutely, we're full on and when we went on a bivouac towards the end of a term it was sort of a, a week and we went off and, and trained with the regular army uh, and they had a a section down there where everybody was trained to drive trucks and that, and there'd be 20 or 30 trucks would come out and, and pick us all up and, and take us on the bivouac, and then they the trucks would be organised to, to pick us up and take us places. It was very, very full on. Target practice was full on too. Were
0: we- you using live ammo?
1: Oh, yeah. Yes, oh, yes. Oh, always.
0: In the grounds of Geelong Grammar?
1: Yes, we had our own rifle range there, yeah. and uh, you know it was, it was rifle practice it was it was the real thing. there was no mucking around. They had cadet uh, officers training camps in the in the uh, in the holidays, and some of the boys went off and became officers and cadet officers. And I got my call up papers uh, towards the end of 1942. I think the family found them the other day. I'd sort of moving them away somewhere they found the then the, call up to report for, for duty Did you? No, no because uh, I realised I had to finish the term right Yep. and uh, so I had one term to go before they was called up but I was notified that when I finished the term I had to go to the call up office and then I got another letter to say that uh, disregarded altogether because they stopped calling people up Yeah but uh, that's how full on it was. And there was, you know, the, uh, the Air Force was training at Avalon next door. Some nights we, we'd hardly get any sleep at all because they were training in uh, Avro Ensign, uh, Oxford aircraft, which would th- <coughs> lumber over the top of our house every three minutes, you know, all night long, because they, they were training people to be bomber pilots, you see. Then we had a fellow that came there, a fella called Piggy Taylor, and he was converting from bomber, uh, bomber pilot to to uh, spitfire, and his f- great friend was getting married in the chapel, so he thought he'd come over and do a barrel roll over the school, and it was just on, it was just towards the end of lunchtime, and he did a barrel roll and went straight into the cliff, and killed himself.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he just didn't allow enough room underneath to come out. And he either would have... Got, if he hadn't gone into the cliff, he'd have gone into the junior school. So he, he went into the cliff.
0: Well, that was pretty sh- much of a shock to all of you, bringing back to reality.
1: Oh, a, a terrible shock. and uh, You know, we were all out on the oval watching him because he'd done a couple of runs over the school and here he was in a brand-new spitty. <laughs> and, of course, they assembled the spitties at Geelong in those days. Yeah. They used to come out in boxes and be delivered to Geelong. And the International Harvester place there was where they assembled them. And they had a little airport air strip there. And when they, they used to assemble about three a week. And towards the end of the week, we'd all be watching and they'd take off. And one would take off and circle, another would take off and circle until there were three of them. And they'd all then head north in a, in a three three spitties all together
0: coming. David, you must have made a lot of mates there at Geelong Grammar.
1: Yes, I did. I think, yes, a lot of mates at Geelong Grammar. I've caught up with a lot of them over the years. And uh, we had, I had some wonderful times at Geelong Grammar. Everybody sort of did things to help, not only help themselves, but help everybody else. Yeah. And that's what it was all about. There was, there was no sort of shirking on anything you... You did the very best for yourself and and everybody else.
0: It's a Christian school, it's a Church of England school. Was religion important at that school?
1: Yes, it was, yes. The services were were very good and and very positive. And and, and James Darling was was really wonderful in many other ways. What
0: was so special about James Darling?
1: I think he was just a very special man as far as education was concerned. And I do know that... um, he was just about ready to crack when he had to read out the names of those that were killed. Right? And apparently the uh, president of the Geelong Grammar was there. He had a sort of inkling that Darling was buckling a bit. And he went and met him after a chapel service. <coughs> and Darling said to him, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And he said, James, you've got to. You've got to do it. And that was one of the tough times.
0: David Robinson, Geelong Grammar is a pretty special sort of place in my heart. My father went to school there and I actually taught there. You're talking about the fact that you met a lot of good people there. Who are some of the people you met there? Who were your, your schoolmates?
1: Study passages with you. In those days, it was. Dick Cobham was our cast captain, and there was Bill Ramsey, S- uh, smith. Then there was uh, Dick Woolcott and myself, another fellow called Andy Ramsey from the Western District, he was there. And a fellow called Michael Moore, who went into the diplomatic corps, as well as when Dick did. Then we had the ones was further down, Michael Davidson, who was school captain the next year it was a very special place I think that Michael Scriven was another one there uh, went on to do terrific things I think
0: What about sport at Geelong Grammar? You got into that too now that you had a bit of feed behind you
1: Yeah well eventually I was in the, in the cricket 11 I used to open the innings with a fella called Bill Pankridge who later was the librarian at, Ge- at Geelong Grammar for quite some years and is no longer with us now then uh, I w- went on from there and and uh, I managed to get into the football team, I think basically because I, I kicked the goal from the middle of the oval when we were playing a practice match and <laughs> the old coach reckoned that anybody can kick a goal from that, that position has got to be in his team. So that was a good... And I played at Ruck for, for for Geelong Grammar with Bill Ramsey. Uh, Bill was the, the first... Uh, schoolboy to break the two-minute 8.80, and in the ass I uh, managed to uh, break the record for the 120 yards hurdles. I'd never jumped a hurdle in my life until I went to Geelong Grammar, so that was sort of something special for me. And then on the uh, mile medley in the the house competition, uh, Bill Ramsey, who ran the 8.80, Dick Woolcott, who ran the 4.40. Uh, Dick Cobden, who ran one of the 220s, and I did the first 220. And uh, I think because I'd been doing the, the hurdles that I'd sort of improved my sprinting quite a bit. And I held, held the school sprinter, m- the main sprinter of the school, uh, exactly in that uh, race. And we changed at the s- same time. I changed to Dick Cobden, and he went off on the next 220. And that afternoon, we not only broke the record for the school, but we broke the record for the combined schools by 12 seconds. And that record still stands.
0: Do you remember your time, 12 seconds?
1: I don't remember the time. Uh, it's been recorded as Cuthbertson House uh, having the record, and it's never, ever been broken. It uh, went, went on to the metric things, and they hadn't broken it in 25 years.
0: And you obviously loved playing your cricket, your athletics and the footy. How did you convert from going from Rugby Union to AFL?
1: Oh, it wasn't very hard at all because I was uh, always a kicker in the Rugby Union and uh, I really enjoyed the AFL. I thought it was a much better game and a, a fairer game. I thought there were a heck of a lot of things in the Rugby Union. You, you really couldn't understand why, they, why, you, why you got penalised for them, so that was it. But if you're at the school and that's what they do, that's what you've got to do, so that's that.
0: <laughs> and these sports like the athletics, the uh, AFL and the cricket were all played on that beautiful main oval, oval at Geelong Grammar.
1: Yes, there certainly was and it was an absolute beautiful oval. It still is and if I go back there for luncheons I always have a really good look at that oval which is, I think is one of the special places at the school.
0: It could be pretty windy and cold there, though.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, in the middle of, middle of winter there playing football, you knew you were playing football in Corolla Oval, I know.
0: <laughs> hey, and did you barrack for the Cats? Did you barrack for Geelong?
1: Yeah, always barracks for Geelong, yeah. Were
0: they a good team in those days?
1: Yes, they were a very good team. But I used to go and stay with Dick Woolcott, and he was a bit keen on on, on the Tigers. And, of uh, we, we, course, his family lived down at Frankston, and we went and practised with, with one of the Frankston teams there Well, we were playing playing Geelong. He, he was a rover and I was a ruckman, and uh, one of the scouts from Richmond were there and they wanted us to go and join up with the, the Richmond young ones. And I said, well, I live a little bit too far away for that. <laughs> Just up in central New South Wales. And he said, oh, no, that'd be no good.
0: Did you get home at all during this time when you were down at Geelong?
1: Not only didn't get home, but you never even talked on the telephone those days. <laughs> you know, today when you see everybody talking on these iPhones and things, you know, I've, I've, well, my brother got appendicitis, and I was instructed to ring home or ring somebody to get in touch with my parents to get permission that he had be operated on, and that was a big, big deal. I had to go and get on the telephone and trunk line call and. And, and of course, I couldn't get my mother and father, they weren't there, so I realised that my mother was probably in town, so I got one of my friends in town and she was having a cup of tea with them, so I was able to get hold of her, able to put her onto the housemaster to say, yes, it was all right for him to have the operation for appendicitis. Today.
0: Well, how were they coping back home during the war?
1: Very difficult, very difficult there. In, in wartime, uh, on the land, particularly around Dubbo, was extremely difficult. They couldn't get any people to help them, and I believe in those days even the, the the bank staff were encouraged in the weekend to go out onto properties and help where they could. And this was how drastic and how how bad it was. And you know, Dubbo was had a military camp there with six thousand men in it, and they're all all uh, uh, infantry men in training there and they used to go, I've seen them in train at Dubbo Station, uh, going straight down on on the train onto the ship to go overseas. Mm. And all these men, we used to have quite a group of of sergeants that used to come out and spend the weekend with us from the camp there, because we had a distant cousin who was a sergeant there, and he used to bring all his mates out and spend the weekend with us. They used to come out in a funny little car and sometimes they'd make it and sometimes they wouldn't. They used to have to, to take it. <laughs> Petrol was pretty short in those yeah. days and you didn't know whether they were going to make it or they weren't going to make it.
0: Yeah, And how was your dad at this time? Because he'd been gassed in the war.
1: Yeah, well he found it very, very difficult and he, of course he wasn't getting any younger. And, uh, you know, he, he had a, a beautiful set of size field glasses, which he gave to one of the officers who was going over to Malaysia and also his uh, revolver, which he'd brought back from the war and they disappeared in Malaysia. And that was that it wasn't easy. It was very, very difficult and very difficult for, for him in those days and, and difficult for mum too. She, she was helping in every way she could. You know, they looked forward to us getting home on the holidays. And then of course, there was one holidays when we weren't allowed to go home. Darling said, "We've got to do what the what the politicians tell us to do." You know, old Eddie Ward said we weren't allowed to have a, have a ticket to go home interstate. We shouldn't be at school interstate anyhow. He said, yeah, this this was absolute fact." Yeah. He was able to say that in the paper. We shouldn't be at school interstate. We should be in the own state. So the next holidays, my father knew an agent down in the, in the Riverina. He organised for us to catch the train to the border and the agent organised for us. We missed the train because we went to first of the few and we missed the train. So we had to go and stay and we went and stayed in the Salvation Army home in in Melbourne overnight. And of course, they rang up the school and wanted to. We gave our address as Cuthberton House along Grammar. And of course, they rang old Ted Pinner up and they said, we've got two boys here. Are they running away from school? He said, no. They've just missed their train, don't worry about them, they'll be right. So we got up early in the morning and caught the next train.
0: And what was it like getting home?
1: It was very difficult. I remember that time we, having spent the night in Melbourne, then we had to get to Kaurua and we had to get into a hotel there and, and wait till the next morning. And then we got a lift on the fuel truck out to where this agent was. And he put us on the train there to go up and get the train at Cootamunda to go to Narrabine to come back to Dubbo, right? And of course he couldn't say, "Well, I'm helping these fellows struck the border," and he just just sent a telegram to my father: uh, two pups loaded on train today," <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the way it was, you know. He was he was an old, old mate of Dad's in the war. <laughs> Uh, they were all very good at looking after us like that, you know, but uh, it wasn't easy. It was very, very difficult. And probably, you know, I remember we had to go down to uh, one trip. We went down to, to on the holidays and we had to catch the train to Narrowmine, which was only 21 miles. And then we got the, the, the uh, motor train from, from Narrowmine to Cootabunda but you had to spend a couple of hours in parks, which wasn't very easy. And then we got to Cootamundra and we had to get into a hotel. And we we went into the hotel and we said we were leaving at two o'clock in the morning and the public had said, all right, make sure you shut the door when you go out. <laughs> so we, we went up to the station and got into the waiting room, which always had a fire in it in those days because it was pretty cold. And then we caught the the Melbourne Express to, to go to Albury. And, and of course we'd race down to the Spirit of Progress and get get a couple of breakfast tickets. So, so we'd have breakfast on the train and we thought we were absolutely... <laughs> but we wouldn't get to school until five o'clock that night or a bit after five, because uh, there was only the four o'clock train out of, out of Spencer Street for, for Geelong that afternoon. There was nothing else. Mm. And we just had to bide our time, you know. We, you got on the on the train and and why you went down there, and then the school bus took your bags down, but you had to walk the mile down the the school
0: from the from the train station. Yeah,
1: yeah, we had to walk the mile ourselves so at the end of that trip. So
0: well, you're a tough lad. <laughs>
1: oh, I think it toughened us all up. I really do. I think the war toughened us all up. Mm-hmm. I think we had to do things that we we wouldn't normally have done otherwise, and. Uh, and we get to smile while we are doing it. When did you finish school? I finished school in 1945, a week before the school closed down, right? And I was very glad I had, because the the young man that was a fellow called Harrison, was very, his father was a general in the army, and he was looking forward to going into the army. And uh, the war had ended. And he went into the armoury and committed suicide, so the school was in absolute lockdown for a couple of days. And uh, that was very, very sad because, you know, that was just stupid really. I went home a week early and my father desperately needed me at home. And I remember (laughs) Dad said, well now you can catch the train up to Melbourne. And I booked you on a, on Ansett A and A flight to Sydney, and you can catch the train that night to to come up home, and I'll meet you in the train. So this is this is wonderful. I had I flew ANSET A and A, and it took about two and a half hours to fly from Melbourne to Sydney uh, in those days.
0: Where did you stop on the way?
1: We didn't stop anywhere. It was a DC3, and it was fairly really slow. And they served you a beautiful lunch while you were going there too.
0: I bet you kept the menu. (laughs) No,
1: no, I didn't think about those things in those days. I was very glad to have lunch.
0: So were you relieved to get home? Were you relieved to have finished school or were you sad about leaving school?
1: No, I think I I realised I'd I'd had a pretty good time at school and I was ready to go to work for my father and mother. And my father said, right, oh, well, you know, you're... You're on a very good deal here. You're on 30 shillings a week and you keep. It's it's a pretty good deal.
0: (laughs) After leaving Geelong Grammar, David Rugby Robinson spent a life on the land, buying and selling properties, trading stock and raising a family with his wife, Jane. RIP David Rugby Robinson, 1927 to 2020. You've been listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app, And leave me a review. Music was composed and presented by Luke Aidney.